everybody, Chris Swanson, Sheriff of Genesee County. Ken K Free Hugs Project, and we have a special guest today. Eric Neubauer, Convoy of Hope. Man, Eric, great to have you, brother. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited about the conversation. Yeah, it's got a great radio people. voice. Great radio, radio voice. voice. Yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> so he's a social activist. That's and, awesome. Yes. And, and so are you, but you don't, you don't, you don't look like a social activist. You look like a college professor. Well, you know, I think the thing is, is with I your little pink I, shirt, I love people. That's, that's what I love. That's I love that's people. All that and uh, and I just think so many people just need tangible love. Yeah. You know, they need somebody to come up and say, "Listen, man, I understand yep. what you're going through." And they also need somebody. I learned this a long time ago because I love to talk, mm -hmm. but they need somebody to listen. Oof. And so Don't I, we know. I spent five years in Connecticut listening. And what do you working. mean five years in Connecticut listening? Yeah, well, I, I moved up to Connecticut with my family uh, many years ago, spent five years there in Connecticut, living in an intentional community. And we were there to advocate for the community. Where What's an to, intentional community? How do you know what that means? Uh, just a group of people that intentionally moved into an area that was fairly depressed. Um, and wanted to make a difference, a tangible physical difference. So we cleaned up the neighborhood, we planted trees, we helped create community gardens, we had a delivery-based food pantry, but it was all about connecting with people and understanding where they were coming from, what was going on in their lives. And, wow. and so it's just a, it's kind of a break. I love that word intentional, like you have to wanna move in that environment yeah. what did the neighborhoods look like well let, let me can we can be graphic here sure, i mean sure. uh <laughs> let me put it to you this way before we had garage doors on it would not be unusual to have needles and use condoms in our garage and butt cheeks on the hood of the cars <laughs> because the prostitutes your own cars yeah the wow. prostitutes would use our garage as kind of a a stop um we've had connecticut yeah, we had gun battles in my front yard. Wow. Uh, what city? Hit, uh, Fairhaven, Connecticut. Which is right outside Just of New right Haven. At, yeah, so New Haven, a lot of people know New Haven because of Yale University, and mm -hmm. they think, oh my God, it's great. Yeah. Well, Yale and the, the surrounding community is amazing. Mm -hmm. You get one ring out of that, and there are five communities that historically yeah. housed the workers, mostly from Europe, the workers for the Industrial Revolution. Mm. And then as those workers became middle class, they moved out and now those five communities yeah. are largely Puerto Rican, African American and uh, Latin immigrants. Wow. Um, and so and, and some of those people, I mean, this was this kind of stuff. I'm just learning, right? Yeah. Uh, some of those people had never they never leave Fairhaven. I was telling you, like my wife used to take our kids to the beach like 15 minutes away. We had people that had never seen the beach. Mm. Yeah. 15 minutes away from where they'd grown up. Yeah. That community sounds like um, USC. I don't know if you're familiar with like that Los Angeles area, but when I was living in South Central LA, you've got the USC campus that seems okay. protected. You come right off of that campus, you're in the hood, man. And so it wow. sounds like that's how yeah. you viewed, like Yale was like this protected community, and then you go outside of there and yeah, you're not in very good parts is, is what it seems like then. Yeah, and you know, let me just say this, because this is really what opened my eyes one day, you know, and just talking about the injustice. I had a pothole in front of my house, and it was large enough to wash a baby in. That's <laughs> how big my pothole was. Sometimes they didn't pick up our garbage. I mean, it was the way the city treated our side of the city was horrible. Now, literally, one day I'm driving my buddy. He says, hey, I need to go to the airport. Drive him to a coffee shop just over the railroad tracks, right? 
and we're driving and I'm kind of looking up at these beautiful redone houses and the trees and the streets look so beautiful and we turned the corner and there were all of these cones and these city workers that were melting tar oh my into gosh. the cracks of the black top then placing sand and then they had an airbrush that they would air no so way. it wouldn't lip up on the cars and I said to myself I said wait a second how far is that from the pothole like an eighth of a mile. See? And so what I'm trying to say is what opened my eyes was this. All of us pay taxes. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Okay, right? How is it that an eighth of a mile in my neighborhood, I can wash a baby in the pothole yeah. and they're being so mindful of East Haven that they're gently just pasting up the cracks in the in the deal. And I, and I just started laughing and Ken says, man, what are you laughing about? I said... Yeah. I cannot believe yeah. this. And there was a righteous anger that rose up in me. Well, we, we talked really, about righteous anger yeah, before. Yeah, we really started like So like it's not just in Connecticut or at USC no. or, or anywhere. I think it involves a population that people don't see as valuable, yeah. whatever that population yeah. yep. is. No, that's communities around the nation where like the haves and the have-nots can be a block apart or separated by a railroad track yeah. or an intersection and it's like why do they have everything and this side is just forgotten and so that's really cool that like the term that you use being intentional being in those communities and saying I want to make a difference in an area like this and yeah. I, I think more people should even think like that like rather than saying oh don't go over there why not figure out what are the problems that make over there what it is and try and figure out how to improve that area. It's really cool. I, I want to yeah. find out how you decided to live in an intentional neighborhood. And I'm assuming you were had a family at the time. Yep, Like, I like did. Where did you come from? Why did you pick there? And how did you decide to do that? I lived in Dallas, Texas. I was a pastor for 10 years. I was burned out. And I felt like I was sitting in my office uh, most of the time dealing with administrative issues. And wow. uh, I knew that we were called to be a, a part of people's lives. And I was very influenced by Mother Teresa's work. And I'd worked with her organization a lot in Central America and knew that they lived among those that they were working with. And I thought I, I called it my Mother Teresa moment where I just felt like I needed some time to actually go and try to understand what was really going on. And there were so many instances when we moved where I just had a step back where I, I thought, oh man, this shouldn't be happening or that shouldn't be happening. And you realize, wait a second, man, you have no idea what's really going on in the lives of these people. I told you earlier today, I said, uh, we've gotten to be friends with Robert, who was the local kind of drug hustler in the area. And he invited us one day to come over to his house. And I walked into his house and it literally looked like a normal multifamily house on the outside. And you walked in and I felt like I was in the ruins of Venezuela. Wow. You know, nothing in the kitchen, two kids, mother passed out on the bed, three adult males in the house eating off the, the takeout food. Um, mom wakes up. She's completely out of it, you know, trying to play video games with the kids and all this other kind of stuff. And you just realize you're like, wait a second. Hmm. You know, what, what's going on? How can we help? How can we intervene? Because one of the things you learn is, man, these, in, in a sense, it's just like in Afghanistan, these people want what we want. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? A good education, an opportunity, um, but they feel stuck. So before we compare Fairhaven, Connecticut to Afghanistan, of which you spent a significant amount of time in there as an NGO, you come home, you're a pastor, you tell your wife how many kids you have at the time? 
to uh, no no i'm sorry we had one and this is what year oh man it's uh d- 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 maybe 2005 how did you pick connecticut and what did your wife say to get you there we actually had some friends that had moved up there Got and it. they were living with a group of people living in and around not in the same house but in and around a group of probably about 30 to 50 folks who had moved to, yeah. up to connecticut from different parts of the nation and uh, because we knew those folks, we said, hey, we had a place to live. It was a multifamily home. So we lived in the bottom apartment and our, our good friends wow. lived in the uh, upper floor apartment. And uh, we just thought, hey, we want to come and do something different. Wow. How did you um, befriend Robert? Yeah, well, you know, part of part of what we did, it was hilarious. Part of what we did was I used to be in landscaping when I was in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. And so I went up there and I said, you know, just like Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity showed me, like we need to we need to show people that we care. So what do we do? We just started mowing lawns, started edging lawns, started cleaning up the trash in the neighborhood. And literally the at, at the time, the prostitutes thought we were undercover police. I literally had women that would walk by me and they would cover their face like this as I was like mowing, mowing the lawn on the, on the main street like in front the of the, so yeah. So I think that is what gave us credibility um, was being out there day after day, week after week, doing things where people saw and we would tell people, no, we love this community. We're living in this community. We want to help the community. And then, you know, people are cool, man. They just start talking to you. It's not, it wasn't, it wasn't difficult. See, it goes back to doing acts of service. Yes. You know, I, I, I got to say that this week I sent Ken and Adam in a group, a, uh, a video that I saw on YouTube, and it was a compilation of all these random acts of kindness. Yep. And uh, it was your moment in 2016 mm-hmm. was the uh, the thumbnail. And when I clicked on it, it's that first interaction you had with, yeah, uh, with Franzi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it took that action of giving a hug that opened up a cascade of, of trust. Mm-hmm. And then you're standing in the middle of the street with your peace signs. That's the same thing that happened mowing a lawn. Like you don't have to, you can give a hug. Yep. You can mow a lawn. Yep. You could ask a question and that can change history. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to take an action that breaks down whatever wall or barrier there is and it has to be consistent. Right. And I think that's what helped us is just being consistent and then people would open up and then you would hear people's stories. And that's really what was transformative. So at any time, how long did you do the Connecticut bit? Five years. At any time in those five years, did you ever regret your decision? Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, I think sometimes it's it's tougher than others. And um, I, I think that it, originally I wish that our the nonprofit that we had kind of started would have grown larger and that kind of stuff. And it just didn't. Mm-hmm. And it was okay. I mean, I yeah. call it a failure. You know, it just didn't work out. Mm. Um, and that was okay. I mean, uh, but... Uh, but I think the over, like, if you were asking me to look back on it, I would say there's no way I would change it. Nice. Like it was a tough time. There's no way I would change it because there were so many things that I learned. Wow. Yeah. Have you been back there? Yes, I do. I go, sometimes I go back on a convoy business. Yeah. Uh, and I, I still stay in contact with, there was an old Polish gentleman that lived uh, uh, like caddy corner from us. And he actually, he, he's the man. His name is Al Hilger. And I'm telling you what, that is, he was the king of the block. He actually took his money from his job, 
hired kids around the block at 10 to 12 bucks an hour oh my gosh. to clean up the block, giving kids a job. That's what Al Hilger did. We became friends with him. Um, and, and, you know, joined in a sense, the work that he was already doing. And that's cool, man. That. Yeah. So it's, wow. I, I love going back and visiting. Now sure. you're going to love this story. He talked about convoy and I mentioned convoy of hope and, uh, convoy of hope has been around 27 years. Eric is a regional director for all of this region, but tell the story. I love it. How convoy of hope started in that conversation with Mother Teresa. Yeah, well, so our founder, Hal Donaldson, uh, was on assignment. He was a journalist, mm -hmm. and he was on assignment in um, Calcutta, India, uh, actually doing a story on a very famous uh, missionary couple that had was running these amazing schools for girls and just doing amazing things. And they, they were very influential, and he said, listen, we've uh, uh, given, it has an opportunity for you to go interview Mother Teresa, would you like to do it? <laughs> of course, yeah, let's go do it. Yeah. So Mother Teresa's unique though, she has a way of turning around a conversation. So as he was asking her questions, she said, Hal, do you mind if I ask you a question? Oh my gosh. And, and he said, yeah, sure. And he goes, what are you doing to serve the poor? And as Hal describes it, he's like, listen, you can't lie to Mother Teresa, right. right? You know, what are you doing to serve the poor? And he said, if I'm honest, I am not doing much to serve the poor. And she looks back at him and she says, Hal, everybody can do something to serve the poor. Wow. When he's done with that assignment, he goes back, he gathers together, I believe his brothers, they get a truck, they fill the truck with groceries, and they go in their Northern California community in need and start delivering groceries door to door. And that was the beginning of Convoy of Hopes, the idea for their community events, oh, where we flood an area with resources um, and, and bring the community together and show, you know, a lot of the communities that we work in, you know what they realize after we leave? They're like, hmm. I mean, we should have been doing this all along. Yeah. Like, we can work together. Yeah. That's and Hal's stories because his dad and his mother, his dad got killed in a car accident. That's right. Driver. So when Hal was young, yep. his father was killed instantly by a drunk driver's mother was severely injured. The day of his family brought them into their single wide trailer home. There were four children in Hal's family, plus the mom, plus the Davis family. Um, and so Hal's experience was immediately thrust into poverty. Um, grew up that way, but the community responded. The Davises took him in, people gave groceries, people gave clothes. You know, Howell talks about living in hand-me-downs. Yeah. And so he, he grew up saying, when I have the opportunity, I want to give back and make a difference because the community made a difference. So Mother Teresa was a catalyst that it got was. him to remember that time. You know, we talk about how you grew up, you know, and, and how all of us have little things that happen, but, you know, he was wise enough and obedient enough to listen to that challenge and take action. Now, Convoy of Hope is everywhere. They're at, they at Hurricane Ida, they're up in New York. They've been at the earthquake just recently in Haiti. They were there, the original earthquake. Everywhere there's a disaster, Convoy of Hope is there. It's, wow. it's international. And, how, uh, large, how, how large is the organization? Yeah, I think currently we're operating in 25 countries permanently um, throughout the United States. Uh, I think during the pandemic, we delivered over 250 meals to 30 plus countries in 48 of the 50 United States. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was a, a pretty big, uh, pretty big operation. Yeah. When I was in Haiti with Eric, we went there with a local pastor and um, it was a, uh, uh, a trip to go to different orphanages and see what Convoy and their partner Mission of Hope are doing to feed the country of Haiti. And of all the orphanages that we went to, 
if Convoy and Mission of Hope wasn't there, these kids would not eat. They eat that rice and meat pack, and um, that is their meal for the day. And and my wife and I, Jamie, who's, you know, has always been supportive, was able to go on this trip because I've been on plenty of the trips. But when she saw it, you know, it makes it a reality when you see that, man, the worst day in America is the best day in other countries. Unbelievable, man. Yeah. Well, and you know what I say about that stuff that I've learned is that the solutions aren't rocket science. Yes. You know. Um, Explain that. Well, what happened is I was working with refugees after the Bosnian-Serbian conflict in 96. That was my first trip. And uh, I call her my uh, Bosnian grandmother. Her name was Lutza, and we visited her in a refugee camp in Split, Croatia, which used to be a resort town. And then at this point, it was like a, it was a refugee city. And I realized what a bag of rice and coffee and other little key oil, key supplies, the difference it made in their lives. Mm. And then sitting down and listening to her story about losing her historic family home that had been in for hundreds of years and their their extended family and losing her brother. And, you know, and so Mm -hmm. I just realized that, you know, I'm not saying that there's not complex issues. But I'm saying oftentimes the solution in a moment is not rocket science. It's not that difficult. And it's kind of like free hugs, mm-hmm. right? I mean, just a hug, yeah. it breaks down a barrier, it opens a door. You know, maybe you can get somebody who's been stubborn to listen. Yeah. So that was, that's kind of, I believe there's, there's a lot of solutions out there that just are not rocket science. Yeah. You know, when I speak at the colleges, that's often what I'm leaving the students with is let's not always overcomplicate the, um, the ways to solve a problem. Sometimes it's, it's really simple. It's right in our face, but we try and think of these grand ideas to save the world when it could be as simple as planting a tree. Yep. Picking up some trash, introducing yourself to someone. That's the way that it starts. And then from there, we can change the world. But I, I think too many times we say, oh, well, I'm just one individual. What can I do? Mm. There's a lot that one individual can do. And, and it sounds like your work is showing that regularly. And the people that you all come in contact with, like, you never know how much of a legacy you leave behind just by investing even just a little mm-hmm. bit in people's mm-hmm. lives, you know, how much they remember that moving forward and and the um, multiplication effect that it has. You know, people that experience maybe some of the things that you all have, have done or invested in their lives and then they say, you know, I could do something mm-hmm. that easy for the next person. And we kind of saw that with our Christmas extravagance right. as well. You know, it's like That's people awesome. start to feel like, how come we're not doing something like that? You know, and so then it becomes just very easy for the next person to say, yeah, you know what? We're going to commit to doing that as well. Cool. We want you to copy that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go, go and do it. So, yeah, it's really awesome. That That's you great. Doing that. We talked about this earlier today in the pre-show, and that is, um, you know, there is a uh, emotion that people have or don't have, and that is the difference between life and death. That is the difference between fighting or giving up. And it starts with an H ends with an E and has an OP in the middle. And I think all of us can agree when you lose hope, you have completely lost any will to continue. Yeah. What does that mean to you when you talked about that earlier today and the the feeling of hope versus hopelessness? Yeah, well, I was uh, living in Fairhaven, Connecticut and our neighbor, um, her son uh, killed, uh, robbed and killed, uh, I believe by accident. Uh, a proven immigrant, they were robbing them because they keep cash on them, obviously. And 
And uh, my understanding is that a friend was a multifamily home. A friend was coming down the stairs when he heard the disturbance downstairs. And I think even possibly the gun went off by accident. Nevertheless, he was 17 years old. Um, obviously that changes a life. And I was pondering on why, why would he do this? You know, um, and I began to think about his family and I began to look around the neighborhood and collect the stories. And I realized, I said, you know, there's a lot of things that, that challenge us. Um, but we're, we don't we don't rob and kill somebody just because of that, right? But I I, I thought about the fact that, but if you lose hope, mm-hmm. like if you can hold on to hope, you can hold on to maybe just maybe just maybe there's a better life for me somewhere, right? Something could happen. Maybe my dream will come true. But when you when you lose hope. I think people here we go. Listen to this. Who would not normally do things, they end up doing what they never ever thought they would do. Yeah. Like there's just like there's no way they just something happens and they do it and they're like, this is not who I am. Yeah. I, I believe that this happens to young people when they lose hope, they end up getting involved in things. In retrospect, they would say, this is not me. Yeah. Like, this is not me, you know? And so this is why I think we have to be very, very careful with how we judge people. Um, We don't know their stories. Um, Do you know what it's like? I mean, my spiritual director told me one time, he goes, you know, Eric, he goes, he lives in a very difficult section of New York City. And he said, he goes, I do not know if put in a similar situation, if I would be doing as well as my neighbors who are not doing very well, yeah. right? Yeah. And so it's just a reflection to say like, we just don't know what it's like. And so I just have a lot of a lot of grace and just, hey, like don't judge. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Some, sometimes I always, uh, I always say, I wish like part of the cycle of life is that everybody has to experience poverty, yeah. middle class and wealth at some point in their life to kind of have a better understanding of each other. Because I think that sometimes people who are born into wealth, they'll always look at people at the bottom and say, why don't they just lift themselves up? Why don't they just do this differently or do that different? But if you've never been in that situation, you have no idea what, what it's like, you know? And so I think for those of us that have been fortunate enough to experience or live in areas where people are suffering it creates that empathy and understanding to say i kind of have an idea why that person would would do that you know like as you were explaining the situation about the kid who killed someone the fact that you said a couple of times i don't think it was on purpose you know most people would just say of course he did that on purpose he's a criminal but if you come from that environment and you realize sometimes what people are up against Mm. you're willing to give a little bit more empathy and understanding for the situation and say i don't know that that person really intended that i think they're a victim of circumstance and they just got caught up in a lot of the things that um they're experiencing but i don't know that that person can't be reformed or changed if put in a better um, situation. So, you know, you talked about wealthy people not understanding impoverished people and people that are under oppression. 
But I also think that people that are living in that environment can't give up hope that they can never reach the higher level of life. And and that's where that hope comes in is when you have no empathy because you're up here on the top of the mountain Mm -hmm. looking down, or you have no hope because you're on the bottom of the mountain looking up and there's no way to get there. That's this big, gigantic void. That's why I totally agree. All of us, no matter where we are, can always either watch something on TV, online, walk, go drive through a neighborhood and see the ultra wealthy mm-hmm. to see. I mean, there's shows on it. There's there's all these things you can see it, but not mm-hmm. everybody experiences poverty. And, that it, and that's why, and I don't know if you know this, but you know my boys, since they were 13 years old, I've taken them once a year to a foreign country that has nothing for one week. And we built churches, we built schoolhouses, not because I'm parent of the year, because I want my boys who I take great care of to experience pain. Even if it was just one week, I would say it was the best field trip for the year of my boys. And to this day, that's why we're able to do this. You know, when COVID hit, my son, uh, bless his heart, he was 19 years old. He delivered food without even me asking one time to go deliver food for a solid month. Every day, put gas in his truck and delivered food all the way up to the hood. I mean, he's, he's walking in neighborhoods that I would send double police cars to right. and, and he's delivering food and I knew he was protected, but man, I can't agree with you more. And, and there's a lot of Fairhaven, Connecticut's around the world. Yes. And, and I know that people listening right now need to ask themselves the question that mother Teresa asked how, mm-hmm. so you fill in the blank with your name. What are you doing to serve poor, the addicted, the oppressed? suicidal the lost like you fill in like what are you doing to do this i mean that's why i love this show because this particular episode is inspirational you're an inspiration to me i mean i was able to go and convoy has done a lot for this community but just to experience convoy in haiti Hmm. i've been there multiple times in different disciplines but that was a great trip man And, and um convoy's got a great heart you have a great heart i have a question for both you and that is if somebody can't be a part of a free hugs movement or a protests where people decide to listen or go to Bosnia. Hmm. What, what, what suggestions do you have for the average bear out there that want to do something they just don't know what to do? Hmm. What do you guys think? First. Yeah, you know, um, I, I think it's personal to each person. I think they got to figure out where they feel like they could make a difference. I think it's everything from uh, 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 facilities, Medicare facilities that care for the elderly who are yep. often forgotten. I think it's uh, visiting the prisons and jails yep. and listening, uh, <laughs> offering whatever you have to offer. Yep. I think it could be going into a neighborhood and delivering groceries, find a family. You can, I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many little things that can make a tremendous yep. difference. So Convoy of Hope was invited on the first anniversary of the Michael Brown, uh, of Michael Brown's death, to come to Ferguson, Missouri, and to, to host a community event, the city, uh, the city elders. Convoy was asked and, to do that. Yeah. Why? I, I guess because who we are. Exactly. But, I mean, the New York Times was there. I mean, it was insane. It was crazy. But I'll never forget a grandmother was taking care of her three children, and she said because of the groceries, because of the shoes, because of the different resources she picked up for her grandchildren. She goes, you put two to $300 back into my pocket. Now, now listen, 
<laughs> most of us. I know what you're going to call. I can spare a hundred or two hundred or three hundred. You know, you, the cop today, you know, came yeah. in. Your sheriff came in yeah. and said, "We're looking for shoes." I was about to say, "Let's go buy them right now." I know, but that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Everybody can do something like that. There is need, and I tell people this all the time: just open your eyes. So it takes more effort to find out what you can't do versus what there I is out there. Agree. Like you have to work not to find something. Yes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. My, my answer um, to your question is I think sometimes people don't do much because they think, that, well, I've got to go out of my comfort zone or I have to drive into this uncomfortable yeah. area. There's always ways to do something, yeah. you know, even if you feel like, you know, I'm so out of touch, I wouldn't mm -hmm. even know where to start. Then do some research online and find the organizations yeah. that are doing the real That's work great. and yeah. support them, whether it's monetarily or mm -hmm. saying, hey, when can I come and volunteer yeah. with you guys? Hmm. Right. Just finding something to do, because most people can't start from scratch. You right. know, they wouldn't even know where to go and could they walk into a and dangerous you don't need situation. To. You don't have to do yeah. that, right? You can find ways to do that. And so that's hopefully for people who are listening to this show and feel like, you know, I could do it an extra little bit. I can donate a little mm -hmm. bit of money or I have a little bit of extra time to help other people because I think that is such a powerful and important question that yeah. Mother Teresa asked is what are you doing for the poor? And sadly, most people's answer is just judge them. Mm. That's it. What are you doing for the poor? I judge them. Wow. That's probably the majority yeah. of people's answer, yeah. right? Because if you think about it, they all have something to say about that poor person over there, but what are you doing for them? Yeah. I judge them. Yeah, that right? I hear that from police when an addict overdoses. Well, they were just an addict. No, that was a murder that just happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Somebody just sold that person dope. They overdosed and died. Mm. Yeah, they were an addict, but did they deserve to die? And I don't know if you have, I, I don't know if in, in any good conscience you could say, yeah, yeah, they deserve that. Do people really deserve no to, to grow up and to be an addict? Yeah, no, no. Yeah, and it goes back to that, you know, you you have to align yourself with something that you agree with. You have to not judge people, but that's an act. That's an intentional. It goes back to living into yeah. an intentional community. You have to be intentional. Go, wait a second. Stop saying that. Stop saying that. Because a lot of us are conditioned that way. We were raised that way. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we've never experienced that side of life because my family kept us on this side of yep. life. Yep. And I think people, that intention has to be out there for sure. And I love the fact you said you don't have to you don't have to create your own. I mean, you don't have to be another Convoy of Hope. Right. Just join Convoy of Hope. That's it. Go volunteer some time with an organization. Yep. Go uh, make a donation if you're like, I yeah. don't have time, but I've got money. Yep. Everybody has something, right? Yeah. You've either got money or you've got time or you've got sweat equity yep. that you could invest into something and say, yep. you know what? I, I could come down one weekend a month and I can do this yep. or do that, whatever it is. You know, we all have something. Yep. Or we're on the receiving end and we yep. need to know how to ask for help or how to go and find that help rather than just using the excuse of like you talked about yep. with hopelessness yep. people just giving up on life because they're like I don't know where I'm going to get help from there's help out there yep. if you look for it you know and so I think just yep. all around people have to be intentional about what they're looking for so we're going to give personal examples and I know it's tough for people like us to do this and it's not to edify ourselves but I want to give a personal example <clears throat> of what you can think about doing that is different than just, you know, giving out of your excess, but literally sacrificial and you got to make sure that it impacts people. So uh, approximately four years ago, I'm in the jails, the undersheriff at the time. And uh, as I was walking through the lobby, an elderly black woman was there 
and uh, she had to put some property in the locker and she didn't want it to get stolen and she had no money, right? Okay. It was a quarter. As I'm walking through, I said, ma'am, can I help you? She goes, I need to put some of my property because I'm going to go up and do a visit, but I don't want it to get stolen. I said, I got it covered. I gave her a quarter, right? About two weeks later, I still have it in my car. I get a letter and it's from this lady to me, thanking me for that quarter. And a quarter was taped to the letter. That was great, right? And this is, again, the reason I'm saying this is not to edify Chris, but it's to give an example of how going the extra mile can bless people. So I said, all right, that lady is going to be blessed. I found her address. I went to her house. And for years after that, I would find where she worked, which was a mire, a little bit east of us. And I would give her a monetary gift out of the blue. And it blew her mind because it took an inconvenience (laughs) of me to go find her and an inconvenience to go out there. And I don't even know her name. I don't know where she is right now. But I did that because I wanted her to know that because of what you did, returning a quarter to me, (laughs) I mean, that that impacted me. I say that because I'd love for you guys to give an example. And it's tough because it it seems like... you know, we're cautious not to brag, but people need to see it. Like, what would Ken do? Give me an example. This is what, what I would do, and this is what I did do, among a thousand other things. But being selfless and being uh, a giver, yeah. that's what people, that's how you break down barriers. That's why, that's why people of different races can have hope. If you do something that's completely out of the blue, which we've all experienced, I'm asking, is there a particular event that you did that you're able to say, this is what I did that was unconventional, but it paid dividends? I, I have a similar story, but it's it's lengthy and important where I was on the receiving end, and I'd love to share it, but Please. because it's lengthy, we'll save it for- Oh, so, dude, you can't give us a snapshot? But it's, but it's powerful. A snapshot of it, and I don't know if I talked about it on a previous episode. Okay. Was, one time I was just caught up in the moment. I was speaking at a yoga festival and I spoke about this and I just like broke down in tears to this audience as I was thinking about the kindness that it took for this okay, person man. to do this. We so just got the 35 mil mark. Can you do it in five minutes? No, it wouldn't be a five minute story. So <sighs> we'll, uh, we'll, maybe we go on to a part two or something, but I'll, I'll let you go and then we probably have to wrap this Yeah, up, we so. do. All right. Yeah. Dang, I'm going to hold this to <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah. I'm, Dang, I want to, you better tell me when it happens because when I know, the episode drops, I, I want to hear this. I know. Story. See, he just, <laughs> cool. he just foreshadowed it the next right. episode. <laughs> yeah, so we have four kids. And uh, we drive our cars into the ground and we take our cars are maintained by a local garage in Springfield, Missouri, and they're really great folks. Um, And so we got received a gift uh, from our family that allowed us to buy a newer used minivan for our children uh, to drive them around and stuff. And so uh, we decided we said, hey, what should we do with the old van? And so we went uh, we felt like we should give it away. So we went to our our um, our uh, uh, mechanic. We said, hey, listen, we're not trading this in like it's just not worth it to trade it in we want to give we think we're supposed to give it away and so um can you could do you know somebody that could use it and they're like oh my gosh yes there's this grandmother who carts her grandkids around wow. her van just came in and it's so bad we can't even we can't even change the oil anymore because the because if we did the oil pan would fall apart and just Jeez. she didn't have the money and all yeah. that kind of stuff and so I said, hey, listen, take my car, look at it, 
and tell me what the bill is. I'll pay it to get my car fixed up proper and then you give it away. And so what was really cool is they looked at it and there was kind of some work that needed to be done on, on my car. Yeah. And so her and her husband decided to donate the work. See? And I think I paid a little bit. They donated. No, I, yeah, I think I maybe paid labor and they donated all the parts or something. But it was so cool. And that yeah. woman was absolutely blown away. But what I love about it is it had a little sticker on the back. And so whenever I'm in the city, we live in a small town. Whenever I'm in the city, sometimes you see I that. see that. Oh, that's cool. Yes. <laughs> you know, and I always ask how she's doing and that kind yeah. of stuff from my mechanic. So, and it was just something now, like it, it wasn't, again, it wasn't rocket yeah. science, right? There's a great book by Robert Morris called The Blessed Life, and he talks about just doing crazy off-the-wall stuff like that, stuff that even takes my giving to a higher level. But I, it goes back to you've got to inconvenience yourself. You've got to sacrifice yourself to show other people what hope can be and what it looks like. Yeah. And uh, if, I've said it before. If you give of your excess, it's not a sacrificial gift. If you give of something that costs you or takes a pound of flesh, that's when you really tru truly gave. Uh, man, I uh, I know that um, this could go on for hours, and I appreciate it. If somebody wants to know more about Convoy of Hope and what they can do to volunteer, sure. whether these disasters are in their backyard or even international, I know it's tightened down a little bit, but it'll be soon before you're back out internationally. Right. But how do they find y'all? Convoyofhope.org. Awesome. That's great stories, man. Cool. Thanks, Eric Neubauer. Thanks. Thank you Thank so you much. Time. Yeah, appreciate it. Chris Swanson, the sheriff. Ken YK Free Hugs Project. Hey, we'll see you on the next episode. Go do something right now. Um, absolutely. <laughs>